0: From the Mercy One studio.
1: Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients.
0: Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. It's time to hear from the top Christian litigators in the nation who have come forward to tell us the truth and help us defend our faith.
2: Hear ye, hear ye! All rise. Faith on trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano, is in session.
1: And good Thursday morning from the Mercy One Studio in West Des Moines. I'm Deacon Mike Mano here with Gina Noel. Gina, how are you this morning?
3: I'm doing well, thank you. Good. It's a beautiful week. It, it looks is. like we'll get a bunch of sunshine and that always seems to make the show a lot easier to, <laughs> to yeah. the stomach.
1: Yeah. It makes it a lot easier to come and go from the studio too, yeah. Exactly. We're not having to fight with bad weather or anything. Although we did get snow. Didn't stay for very I long.
3: <laughs> wasn't that a terrible thing? What day was that? The, was that Monday this week? I
1: don't I don't know but what what reminded me is I, what it reminded me of is several years ago, many years ago. Um, I was home visiting my mother in April, and I was living up in Northwest Iowa at the time. And a snowstorm hit us in April, and I got about six miles out of town going back home, and had to turn around and come back. And we were snowed in in Windsor Heights uh, till Tuesday of that following week before the snowplows got out. It was one of the, it was just a perfect storm. It was right as everybody was getting ready for uh, uh time out, outdoor time and and so right, part well parks and recreation uh were getting ready to go out and do their thing and so all the snow blowers or graders that they had at the time they'd all converted to park usage and so they couldn't get out to clean the the snow right and I'm trying to remember what year that was. It was in the, the 78 or 79, something well, like that. But it was a I big have, April snowstorm.
3: All I know is Mother Nature's been a little fickle around here
1: lately. And it sure has. Sure Hard has, to stomach. Yeah. we got an interesting show today. We're going to be talking <clears throat> with Tom Jipping from the uh, Meese Center. Uh, for constitutional studies of the Heritage Foundation, we're going to talk about this court packing program that is going on. Very topical, or I guess, as uh, Jerry Nadler says, the unpacking program. <laughs> I, you know, depending they, on the spin. They, they, yeah, they're def- they're redefining terms. Nonetheless, we're
3: going to take a look at how the Supreme Court is um, structured and is wanting to be structured into mm-hmm. the future. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting. I found um, in research for the show today, I found some studies about um, the Washington Times did, or I'm sorry, the Washington Post did um, some polling that was mm-hmm. done before the election, after the election, and recently with regard to this. And their uh, bottom line was kind of a yawner for the American people. They're they're not really interested in
1: yeah. And it the was interesting that uh, Biden, Mr. Biden, uh, never answered the question during the campaign. Are you going to pack the court? Are you know, oh, you know, he. He punted on that. But, but I think... they do have all-
3: some... I, ha- I have seen some footage from his earlier years as a congressperson where he definitely thought it was a bad idea. Right, so right. It'll be interesting to, to hear his take on it and how the whole thing works because um, I have my own ideas. If I were in Congress, I'd do it like the 23rd, 24th Amendment. It, if you change the way the court is built up it can't take effect until the next administration
1: that wouldn't be a bad idea that so w- just
3: like they can't give themselves raises until they, you know they can raise their salaries but they can't raise their own salaries that the salary raises don't take effect until the next um, election
1: yeah so the, the whoever will be appointing the new justices would be elected in 24 that right, president if, would do if, it
3: if if my law would take effect. But unfortunately, would, I'm not in
1: that. That would uh, cut that short right away. I think.
3: <laughs> I think so too. Well, I mean, know, and that makes for good legislation.
1: I, you know how they got to nine? Maybe explained this once what? before. They started out like at six because con- the Constitution says that uh, the Congress. Uh, it's up to the Congress how many people are on it. The composition of the court is up to the right. to Congress. So they started with six. And they went down to five. And what they started doing is as the country expanded, they started creating circuit court uh, around areas. our great big nation. And, mm-hmm. Right. And as they added another circuit, they would add another judge that so they'd have a circuit judge or somebody in the Supreme Court who was the circuit judge for a particular circuit until they got up to ten. And then they decided, as this country grew, that it would become too wieldy. So they, in, I think it was 1869 or something, they set the limit at nine. And that's how we got the nine that's been with us ever since. Right, and then they quit traveling. They don't travel like they did. That's right. That was one of the reasons that, uh, that they added a justice each time because when they created a circuit, that circuit justice would go out and actually hear cases, cases in those, you in know, those circuits. Yes.
3: From Washington, D.C. to the state of Washington was a long time to be away from the centralized court.
1: Yeah, and the interesting thing is in the early years of the court, uh, it was not really that – prestigious a job <laughs> no, because you know you'd be doing a lot of traveling
3: well I just imagine there were no airplanes back then no That's and a they, lot of and miles. they only
1: met for a short period of time in Washington and then they all went home yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. well we keep them a lot busier so we're and then
1: we're going uh, to talk um, to uh, Julie Blake from the Alliance Defending Freedom about a lawsuit in Missouri the College of the Ozarks versus Biden uh, because Biden, uh, issued an executive order his first day in office about housing. And what it does is it affects their dormitory. And College of the Ozarks is saying, hey, we're a Christian dormitory. We don't want men in with the women and right. showers exactly. and all that. So that's what that's about. So we'll talk with Julie about that. And uh, I would
3: imagine that individuals have rights to their privacy if, uh, they, if they prefer it.
1: Some courts have ruled otherwise. Well, and, I'm uh,
3: anxious to find out if we can maintain our sense of privacy.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Do you have a, a prayer to I start do. us off
3: with? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God of peace, bring your peace to our violent world, peace in the hearts of all men and women and peace among the nations of the earth. Turn to your way of love those whose hearts and minds are consumed with hatred. Strengthen us in hope and give us the wisdom and courage to work tirelessly for a world where true peace and love reign among nations, and in the hearts of all. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you very much, Gina. And we will be back in about three minutes with Tom Jipping from the Heritage Foundation.
2: Support for Iowa
1: Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the Morning is provided by Blessman International. Blessman International partners with volunteers and donors to provide sustainable programs for children in
2: South Africa by leading 12-day all-inclusive experiences, sharing the heart of Christ with vulnerable children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African
1: child's life. Learn more at blessmaninternational.org. Thank you to Blessman International for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio.
4: Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the Morning provided by Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction. 515-963-4494. Bell Construction.
2: Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and the Uncommon Good provided by Mercy College of Health Sciences, where you can chart your course for more. This is Bo Bonner. And I'm Dr. Bud Marr from the Uncommon Good. Mercy College provides unparalleled clinical rotations, hands-on learning, accelerated education, and flexible schedules. Since 1899, Mercy College has been transforming students into healthcare professionals. Guided by Catholic values, our faculty put classroom theory into practice. Students are prepared for roles in service and leadership throughout their own careers. Learn more at mchs.edu.
1: Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. And you're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, and with us right now is Tom Chipping, who is the senior legal fellow for the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies and the Institute for Constitutional Government at the Heritage Foundation. Good morning, Tom. How are you?
6: Good morning. I'm doing well.
1: I'm wondering, my first question is, can you get all of that on a business card? That <laughs>
6: <laughs> Well, uh, I, the, when I took this job and I wanted to let my mother know how impressive my job was, I tried to get all of it on, you know. But uh, um, senior legal fellow at Heritage is, usually does the trick.
1: Okay, very good. I want to talk to you today about uh, this uh, commission and the court-packing idea um, that is uh, whipping around Washington these days. Um, you wrote an article some time ago uh, about the commission that was being formed by President uh, Biden. Uh, and then uh, shortly after that, I think, then Jerry Nadler and some of the others Uh, introduced their bill to expand uh, the Supreme Court from nine members to, I guess, 13. Um, This seems to be kind of a a way of upsetting the apple cart here. We've had things fairly even for about a 100 and some years with the Supreme Court, and now all of a sudden there's a reason to investigate the Supreme Court to determine if changes should be made?
6: Well, I think, um, you know, and I spent 15 years on the Senate Judiciary Committee staff, and, um, you know, se- senators are people, too, and, um, you know, each of us want to win uh, as much as we possibly can. So when Democrats are looking at the Supreme Court and they don't like all of the decisions that it makes and they want uh, they want to win more often... Um, Instead of just waiting for opportunities for presidents to fill vacancies as they occur, and all but one president in American history has appointed a Supreme Court justice, uh,
1: this court-backing plan... That would be Jimmy Carter, wouldn't it?
6: That would be Jimmy Carter. Mm -hmm. uh, My former boss, Senator Orrin Hatch, once said that the fact that Jimmy Carter did not appoint a Supreme Court justice is proof that the Lord is is looking out for it. <laughs> God us. exists, yeah. Um, but but
3: that's a fun uh, fact. Yeah. I've never heard <laughs> that the, before. The
6: court-packing the yeah. court plan it, it, is not about filling vacancies as they occur. It's about creating new vacancies that the current president could fill quickly in order to push the court in a different direction. Um, if the court needs more justices, it should be because it's an, it can't handle its caseload. But the fact is, it's had nine justices since 1869, and it decides fewer than half the cases it did 30 years ago. So this would be the most radical change uh, deliberately for the purpose of manipulating the court's decisions uh, in our nation's history.
1: Now let's, uh, for our listeners that are not lawyers, uh uh, let's go through what it takes to have a case heard by the Supreme Court, because the Supreme Court doesn't have to. There's only a, a limited number of cases that the court actually has to hear.
6: Yeah, about about a century ago, uh, Congress actually changed that quite a bit and gave the Supreme Court uh, pretty much control over which cases it considers. Um, we have three levels to the judicial system. The district courts is where the trials are held. If you lose there, you can appeal to the Court of Appeals. And then if you lose there, you can appeal to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is not simply a second appeals court, so kind of a second bite at the apple. The Supreme Court is there to sort out conflicts between different uh, appeals courts when they, you know, rule on the same question, but they rule differently. We want to have some consistency in federal law and in judicial decisions, and the Supreme Court, their primary role... Uh, is to sort out those conflicts, which means they are careful in terms of which cases they consider. Some of the most important ones in the country, you know, do end up going there. But the Supreme Court, I don't think, should get you know, kind of its hands in all sorts of different legal controversies just for the sake of it. Um, and uh, so, getting to the Supreme Court. They get about 10,000 appeals a year, and they decide about 75 cases. So it's uh, it's pretty selective.
1: Now, there are certain cases that they have to hear, correct?
6: There are very, uh, very few. Uh, I think the ones that get to the Supreme Court that really grab attention have to do with constitutional issues, things like um, abortion or religious freedom or um, th- those kinds of, of issues, which are probably the most um, profound issues in, in the judicial system. Those are the ones that really grab the court's attention and uh, and, are, and are likely to produce the kind of conflicts or, or conflicting decisions that the Supreme Court needs to sort out.
1: Now, if this um, uh, thing that Nadler has introduced, this bill that Nadler has introduced, if it goes through and is signed by uh, the president and we expand then uh, the court by four, what effect would that have on the court and on really on the larger society today
6: well the, the the effort to or the the suggestion to expand the court i think is based on a false premise which is that justices appointed by one president always rule the same way justices appointed by the different political party always rule the other way um, there, there's uh, a room full of examples of how that's not true. And so this idea that uh, appointing four more democratic justices will automatically or necessarily cause them to decide certain issues a certain way uh, is, I think, fiction. And it's a very dangerous fiction because it ends up, uh, like I said, politically manipulating the court in, in order to try to change its decisions. But it I think the biggest effect of it will be uh, people will have even less faith that the Supreme Court and inner courts generally are impartial. Instead, it will only foster the idea that judges, just like politicians, make decisions based on politics.
1: Uh, there was an attempt back in the FDR administration to pack the Supreme Court to add additional members. Um, what happened to that? Why you know, FDR was very popular. I think he just came off a landslide re-election. Uh, how come that didn't go through?
6: He did. He, in 1936, he was reelected in a landslide, and the Senate, I mean, consider this, the Senate was 80 to 16 Democrat. And, you know, he could have, his his party was in complete control of Congress, and he wanted to... Uh, add up to six justices to the Supreme Court so that it would start upholding the very aggressive federal legislation that he wanted to push through. And it was Democrats, his own party, that rejected that. The Senate voted 70 to 20 against um, his bill. And Democrats said, you know, the independence of our courts is more important than any political agenda of the moment. Like I said, we all want to win. But there are some principles that are more important than that. And it was his own party that said uh, that we should not compromise the integrity of the judicial branch just to pursue uh, some legislative objectives. And I, I would like to see or would like to think that that principle is still true today. Of course, the Senate today is 50-50, and yet we have some Democrats at least who still want to push a radical proposal like this even though the country's much more closely divided than it was in the 1930s
1: sure and uh, fdr's uh, effort was uh, what uh, senator then senator biden called a boneheaded idea
6: he did and it th- that was in an, uh, and he also said it was a terrible terrible mistake that's a quote for mm-hmm. fdr to try to do it and and i believe biden was right then uh, many people think that, you know, since he refused to take a position on court packing <clears> during the campaign last year, that he's created this commission as kind of a um, a thing to hide behind, to still push the idea without having to take a position. Uh, certainly, Senator Biden or President Biden would have to explain why he no longer thinks it's a terrible, terrible mistake if, yeah. if he were to embrace that.
1: Yeah. Uh, the court packing that uh, Nadler has uh, introduced, uh, if it's voted on in the Senate, would uh, at least for now would need 60 votes to pass because of the filibuster. Are you hearing any scuttlebutt about where we are with uh, the filibuster? I know the Democrats want to um, eliminate the filibuster.
6: Well, that that's important to point out because this is controversial, not only because of the objective of packing the court, but what it would take to get that objective, Mm -hmm. and that is changing the fundamental nature of the Senate, Uh, what we call the filibuster, which is just simply uh, a a greater influence that the minority has on debate. Uh, And and today, under the rules, it requires 60 votes to end debate. Uh, That's been part of the Senate's legislative process for more than 200 years. I mean, it's literally the single thing that most people think of when they think of the United States Senate. Mr. So,
1: Smith goes to Washington. Well,
6: yeah. uh, <laughs> though, know, it's
1: not done that way anymore, but... Uh.
6: Well, you know, we've, I'm sure we don't have time to discuss the fact that it was not really done that way then either, <laughs> but um, the fact is, uh, this this is the distinctive way that the Senate approaches legislation. It's different than the House, but it's supposed to be different than the House. So in order to get a bill like this passed, while the House could pass it with just a, a very narrow majority, it would have to get 60 votes in the Senate. Uh, that, that's what we call a check in the balance. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, a little bit of a speed bump so that legislation doesn't just fly what? through the Congress and one party gets everything that it wants every single time. Like I said, we all want to win, but the filibuster's there to... Uh, to make sure that it, you know, things don't happen too quickly, and that too much power doesn't end up in too few hands. So, uh, that's what it would take. There, and, but peop- but some want it so bad that they are talking about getting rid of the filibuster just to get this one bill passed.
1: Yeah, um, there is some talk going around that um, the Democrats uh, aren't really that serious about uh, packing the court. Well, what they want to do is they want to send a message to the justices there that you better start thinking a little differently in your rulings.
6: Well, I'm sure that's part of the mix. You know, my experience working in the Senate is that uh, uh, bills are introduced for a, for a whole variety of different reasons. Sometimes it's to actually get them enacted into law. Other times it's for a message. Not only in this case for the Supreme Court, as you say, but to your own political supporters, mm-hmm. senators want to raise money. Mm-hmm. And so they introduce a bill to say, see, look what I've done. True. All of those things are in the mix. Uh, that, too, would be a, a very dangerous attempt to try to manipulate and intimidate the Supreme Court instead of uh, respecting their independence.
3: Gina? So the, I think that the, the same reason that President Biden has appointed this commission um, the, there's many effects of doing that sort of thing. One of the uh, um, one of the proposals that they're looking at, or the commission is supposed to review, is either a, um, a term limit or a age limit for our Supreme Court justices. Uh, I know there's been some push uh, for some t- uh, strong suggestions to Justice Breyer that he step down so that we can. Maintain that seat in the Supreme Court. Uh, talk a little bit about the pros and cons of those kinds of ideas.
6: Well, on the, on the age limit, you know, you know, they say what uh, um, nothing changes or it, nothing. Everything, everything basically stays the same. Uh, this uh, this issue, this argument was made in 1937. One of the reasons, supposedly, that Roosevelt said he wanted to add justices was that they needed new blood. They needed to have, you know, that justices were getting too old, this kind of thing. Uh, No one believed it then, and no one believes it now. Um, And it would take a constitutional amendment, not just legislation, to change the the fact that Supreme Court justices, like all federal judges, serve uh, for unlimited terms. If you look at the Declaration of Independence, this was literally one of the reasons that America declared independence from Great Britain, because the political uh, rulers were manipulating the judiciary, um, both in terms of how long they served and how much they were paid. This is, you know, we're, we're going around the same block That's here. The so issue is not uh, how long a justice serves. The issue is not how old a justice is. The issue is what kind of justice someone is. What is their understanding of how judges are supposed to treat the Constitution? These other things are just fake uh, sort of misdirection, like a, a, a magician would want to get your attention over to the side while he's, you know, working his uh, little manipulation. So um, I think today, justices, you know, life expectancy is much longer than it was uh, Plenty of judges and justices are completely effective, you know, into their later years. so the issue isn't isn't their age and it's not their length. the The bottom line is court packing involves wanting to create a new Supreme Court that will do what you want. And uh, and that's why it's dangerous.
1: Gina had a proposal to go along with mm-hmm. the uh, If you're law, back yeah. up
3: there and have any connections with the judicial uh, staff anymore, I would like to suggest that we um, treat it much like we do the 27th Amendment and their salaries. If they think it's a good idea, they go ahead and enact it, but it doesn't take effect until the next presidential administration comes into office. Okay.
6: Well, that that could be. But I, but I think, um, like I said, if it was an important enough for America to say we're going to literally uh, sever our ties with Great Britain the idea that congress under any circumstances would have the power to manipulate the pay of judges in, in retaliation of their decisions i think is a terrible idea and and like i said it, the only way to change it is by a constitutional amendment not by legislation anyway
3: oh uh, you mean the the number of justices the number of justices We'd have yeah. to no not not the number of justices
6: no not the pay but the pay and the length of time, time they serve, serve. Yeah, okay
1: yeah. Because yeah. they serve now, not for life, but for good behavior.
6: They serve, yeah, that's yeah. the phrase that's in the Constitution. It basically means uh, unless they are impeached and removed from office, that's what good behavior is, is behavior that, uh, that, that, can't, that they can't be removed for. That's a very, very rare and a narrow category. It effectively means that ju- federal judges serve until they die, until they choose to leave, Uh, or until they're impeached. And um, I think that's a good system. I think it results in uh, less political manipulation, not more, and I think that's what we need.
3: So I recently read an article in the Washington Post that kind of summarized a lot of the surveys and polls that have been done since before the election, during the election, and since the uh, inauguration and the talk of um, court packing. And their final, final analysis of all the different polls was uh, Americans don't really care. Uh, why should we care?
6: Well, I, first of all, I disagree with that. The polls I've seen are that by two to one, the American people oppose court packing. Uh, there are there is a significant portion, or or a, a sizable portion, that don't express an opinion. But those that do overwhelmingly oppose court packing. Um, I do think that that uh, this can this issue can be somewhat. Uh, Confusing and because people don't understand enough about the way our system of government works, particularly the judiciary. Uh, they, don't under, they don't understand how significant it is for our courts to be separate from the politicians. But if you ask them that question, if you ask them, do you think the politicians should be able to manipulate the judiciary to get the, ju- the, the, the decisions they want? I know what people would say. It's just that the, the polls, uh, such as they are, don't ask the right questions most of the time. I think, though, most people of common sense know the judges are supposed to be impartial. It's better that they be independent of the politicians. Politicians should not try to manipulate the courts to get what they want.
1: There's a corollary here to the uh, uh, idea <clears throat> of packing the Supreme Court, and that's that Congress could, if it wanted to, create new... Um, um, appeals courts, circuit courts of appeal, or divide like the Ninth Circuit into two, which would give them an opportunity to appoint some more appellate court judges. Is that idea being tossed around at all?
6: It, it is. Uh, that's a, I, I believe that's a somewhat different issue. Um, the, the Congress periodically uh, changes the lower federal courts. They create new judgeships. Sometimes they uh, rearrange them um, the last time the Congress created a new circuit of the U.S. Court of Appeals, which now is in the southeast part of the country, was in 1982. Uh, and sometimes there's a need for that, as I as I suggested earlier. Uh, if the judiciary needs more judges, it should be because they are, have a demonstrated need for more judges. That they that they uh, need more judges to handle their caseload, <clears throat> not so that the judges. Render different decisions. Um, so the lower courts, uh, there sometimes is a need for that. Congress hasn't created new U.S. Court of Appeals positions in about thirty years, and and uh, if a case can be made for that, um, that should be considered. But you know, one one big difference between the Supreme Court and the lower courts, uh, on the lower courts, and I, I was a law clerk for a judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals in Pennsylvania, for example, and that circuit which is the third circuit the cases that come in are divided among the judges on the circuit so if you increase the number of judges the caseload for each judge goes down on the supreme court every justice handles every case so you could you could uh, increase the supreme court to to 25 and it wouldn't have anything to do with the caseload of the court because every justice handles every case so these two are very different, and I, I still say, though, that if, if the lower courts are going to be expanded, the case ought to be made that it's needed for the administration of justice, not for the manipulation of decisions.
1: And, real quick, before we have to leave it or leave the issue, um, what is your prediction on how far this uh, court packing idea will go?
6: Well, I, I, I do think it'll be in limbo until this commission. Uh, gives its report, which is probably going to be in about six months' time. The The unusual thing about this commission is that it will not actually make recommendations. Most commissions do. This one is simply going to discuss arguments. I think that's a further flag that it's really kind of for the purpose of propaganda more than anything else. But I think when that report of the commission comes out, then there might be some movement to push a particular proposal Um, But I uh, I, but I think court court packing is is more controversial uh, uh, just among, you know, ordinary common sense citizens than the far left thinks.
1: Very good. Well, Tom, we have to leave it there because we're running out of time. We certainly appreciate your time with us today um, and um, wish you well.
6: Thank you very much for having me. Thank
1: you. Tom Chippin, Senior Legal Fellow for the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies and the Institute for Constitutional Government at the Heritage Foundation. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. We will be right back after these messages. Support for
4: Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the Morning provided by Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Bell Construction.
2: Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and the Uncommon Good provided by Mercy College of Health Sciences, where you can chart your course for more. This is Bo Bonner. And I'm Dr. Bud Marr from the Uncommon Good. Mercy College provides unparalleled clinical rotations, hands-on learning, accelerated education, and flexible schedules. Since 1899, Mercy College has been transforming students into healthcare professionals. Guided by Catholic values, our faculty put classroom theory into practice. Students are prepared for roles in service and leadership throughout their own careers. Learn more at mchs.edu.
7: Here's your
2: forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. A little bit of rain coming up, but we'll stay sunny today with our afternoon high in the upper 50s and a little bit breezy. Overnight down to the low 40s, cloudy and scattered showers with a low-pressure system moving through the southern plains. We may get a few early showers tomorrow, cloudy in the afternoon and upper 50s. The weather is brought to you by Divine Treasures, a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio.
1: And you're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And we have with us now Julie Blake, who is Senior Legal Counsel with the Alliance Defending Freedom. Julie, good morning this morning. How are you?
8: Great. Thank you
1: for having me on. Oh, certainly, certainly. There is an interesting uh, lawsuit that you have filed in uh, Missouri Federal Court uh, representing the College of the Ozarks versus our lovely president, Mr. Biden. Uh, Can you give us the background of that? Because it's kind of an interesting uh, lawsuit, and I'm sure we may see a few more very similar to this one.
8: Sure. So this lawsuit is about whether the government can force uh, private religious colleges to open girls' dorm rooms to males. Um, Federal fair housing law has long prohibited sex discrimination, But it doesn't say anything about sexual orientation or gender identity. However, when President Biden took office, he issued an executive order uh, under which federal officials have tried to redefine sex to include sexual orientation and gender identity in federal housing law. And so under this new directive in all housing, uh, women will be forced uh, to share single sex dorms, dorm rooms and shower rooms with men if that's their gender identity.
1: And this was uh, the the executive order was from the president. This is not anything that Congress has passed yet or Congress has redefined. Although we did have a case earlier in the employment uh, situation where uh, gender identity was used um, kind of as a surrogate for sex.
8: Yes. So Congress never debated this. In fact, Congress has repeatedly refused to add sexual orientation and gender identity to federal sex discrimination laws. So this came straight just from the president and from his unelected bureaucrats trying to achieve uh, by their own, you know, dictate what they couldn't achieve through the democratic process, through the people's representatives in Congress. And we think that the law just doesn't say that. And neither a bureaucrat nor an unelected judge should read things into the law that just aren't there.
1: Now the College of the Ozarks is a private Christian college, is it not?
8: Yes, a private religious school in Missouri.
1: And uh, it has some um, religious uh, objections to the executive order. So what would the executive order, if it was imposed on the college, what would that require the college to do or not do?
8: Well, the president's policy is to force Private religious colleges like College of the Ozarks to open its single sex dormitories to members of the opposite sex, including dorm rooms, roommate assignments, and shared sh- shower spaces, and restrooms.
1: Now, would that, uh, So long. Go ahead.
8: Uh, yep, so, so long as that's the person's gender identity. All
1: right, now would this affect federal funding for the college, or would they be able to take? you know, government-backed student loans or things, or would they be cut off from that, or would they just be closed down?
8: So this directive is an order from the federal government, and it doesn't depend on whether or not you agree to take federal funds. So long as you have housing in America, defined as anything more permanent than a transient hotel room, if you own housing in America, you're subject to this directive. Um, You could give back every penny of federal loans, and federal grants. And it wouldn't matter. They'd still come after you and say, follow our orders, or you're going to be subject to ruinous fines and even criminal penalties if you don't do what we say.
1: So in other words, it would in effect close down the college.
8: I mean, I think the federal government would say, if you're going to have housing, you have to do it our way, and they'd close down the student housing. Okay. And the College of the Ozarks is standing up against this government overreach because it has the right to have housing and to operate that housing under its Christian belief.
1: Now, do you know of any other cases similar to this that are now being filed?
8: So our case with College of the Ozarks is the first to be brought challenging this directive. We are going to the court early and saying we're not waiting for the federal government to come and try and shut us down. Uh, We need a court order to intervene now. Protect College of the Ozarks, and other uh, private religious colleges, too. That being said, there are a lot of cases that are, are similar and very troubling that Alliance Defending Freedom is involved in. Cases about girls' opportunity to be on sports teams that have fair competition as opposed to competing with biological males, and cases about free speech where professors shouldn't have to use pronouns that don't correspond to a student's biological sex, there's a, there's a lot of different areas that are similar, too, that we're involved in standing up against government overreach.
1: Yeah. Well, I know because ADF seems to be in the vanguard of these issues, and um, I would imagine that there will be a lot of people coming to you uh, who are similarly situated.
8: Well, we are happy to stand for freedom and welcome hearing from anyone uh, that we can help on these issues.
1: Okay. Now, what is the... Um uh, kind of the nuts and bolts of the legal argument uh, to uh, against this order, other than the fact that it has not been there's not a directive from Congress on specifically the issue of whether gender identity fits under the the idea of sexual discrimination
8: uh, what we also say that they should have had public input before making these decisions. They should have told the public, let people have an opportunity to provide input, and they didn't do that. Um, And then, of course, we're also talking about religious freedom, the First Amendment, freedom of speech, and constitutional rights.
3: Including um, the rights of the other um, residents, their privacy rights? Would that be included in that kind of an
8: argument? Yes, we said that the federal government should have considered um, girls' privacy rights. Um, in particular, their privacy, their reliance rights, and the government didn't consider that. And that's an important part of our lawsuit.
1: Well, that part of that then would go to uh, an argument about the Administrative Procedure Act and whether that was followed or not in it adopting these rules. Uh, and maybe you can explain to our listeners how that would normally go for a legitimate rule that was being adopted.
8: So normally, if the federal government makes a big change, it has to do things the right way. It has to tell the public what it's doing and has to give the public an opportunity to weigh in and say, hey, here's the concerns I have with this. And then it has to listen to what the public say and at least consider it and give a reason to whether or not you're going to do something. Now, they didn't do that. They issued this directive, you know, pretty much in the dead of night by themselves about considering anyone or giving the public any chance to weigh in. And if they had done it the right way and let people weigh in, they could have considered this situation and maybe worked out something that would have been a better fit that respected religious colleges and was fair for everybody.
1: So the uh, the violation of the procedure, the administrative procedure, the Administrative Procedures Act, um, is, is that enough to overturn uh, this rule at this point? I mean, I guess, what I guess what I'm asking you is are you likely to get a partial victory here where they the court says, no, we're going to throw this out because you didn't follow the Administrative Procedures Act, then they just go back and they run it through um, a kind of a slipshod operation at the, at the administrative level, uh, do all the things they're supposed to do, and then come back with the same rule.
8: Well, we're giving the judge all of the options. Federal government um, actions, it's unlawful for a lot of different reasons. We're giving the judge all of the options, um, all of the reasons why this government overreach has to be stopped.
1: Yeah, I saw the lawsuit, and it's pretty lengthy. And I I was just wondering how how much you were depending on that administrative foul-up.
8: You know, so some judges, I think, are more interested in process mm-hmm. and public input questions. Other judges might want to rule on a different ground. So our goal is to help uh, get our case in the best position. And um, at the bottom, all of the claims share a, a single common theme, which is that the government shouldn't force young women to share private spaces with males. And this is unlawful, and it's government overreach for a lot of different reasons.
1: Okay. Now, you probably have some allies that are uh, going to fight with you on this uh, in the way of uh, some type of amicus briefs that might be filed in the district court level. Are you aware of uh, any of those coming in?
8: Uh, you know, it's very early in the case, okay. uh, so we don't we don't know yet, but we certainly encourage everyone to join us in Standing for Freedom.
1: Okay. Gina, did you oh,
3: have some? I I wondered if there was a... Um, an individual, sometimes when we do these, I'm not a lawyer, so I have to preface that I don't have the lingo or vocabulary, but I know sometimes when we look at cases here on the show, there needs to be a victim. Uh, the courts will um, not address the issue. They'll, they'll come up with something. So is there a, an individual that is feels their rights are being um, violated?
8: Well, the lawsuit uh, is brought by the college because it's the college's rights, and So we have the college president um, making the decisions for the college in the lawsuit. That being said, he's heard from parents and concerned students who obviously want to have their privacy rights respected, too. But this directive threatens ruinous fines, even criminal penalties, if the college doesn't comply. So in this case, it's the college trying to stand up for its own religious freedom.
3: Okay. That explains that. Thank you. Mm Okay.
1: Uh, If uh, anybody uh, wants to find out more about this lawsuit, uh, where can they go?
8: Uh, They're welcome to go to Alliance Defending Freedom's website, adflegal.org.
1: Very good. And then I'm sure that uh, if people have extra change in their pocket they want to send your way, they can do it through the website. There you go.
8: Thank you so much. Uh, we really want to make sure that government cannot force schools to open girls' dorm rooms
1: tomorrow. Right, right. When, and we should point out that uh, ADF uh, represents their clients pro bono.
8: Exactly. Yes, free of charge.
1: And uh, and so you you live off uh, people sending you their spare change once in a while to to keep ADF going.
8: Uh, our organization depends on the
1: sacrificial giving of our ministry friends. <laughs> good, good. Wanted to get that in there for you. Julie, thank you very much for joining us today. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, we wish you luck with that lawsuit because uh, it's going to affect not only the College of the Ozarks, but it's going to affect every other institution that has housing in the United States. And that's not just colleges. That's a lot of other people that have housing uh, that now would be forced to open their doors to uh, gender, uh, questions of gender gender, uh, identity and things like that. And and certainly uh, we feel for the uh, women especially that are going to have to open their shower rooms to other people that um, they should not have to. So uh, we're going to pray for you and we want to keep you in mind as to what is going on and uh, we'll be back with you to see how that uh, case is going.
8: Thank you. Thank
1: you for joining us today. Julie Blake, who's a senior legal counsel with the Alliance Defending Freedom. And we're going to take a short break right now, and Gina and I will be back to wrap up in just a few minutes. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio.
2: Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and The Uncommon Good provided by Mercy College of Health Sciences, where you can chart your course for more. This is Beau Bonner. And I'm Dr. Bud Marr from The Uncommon Good. Mercy College provides unparalleled clinical rotations, hands-on learning, accelerated education, and flexible schedules. Since 1899, Mercy College has been transforming students into healthcare professionals. Guided by Catholic values, our faculty put classroom theory into practice. Students are prepared for roles in service and leadership throughout their own careers. Learn more at mchs.edu.
0: Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the Morning is provided by Five Sons Naturescapes. Five Sons Naturescapes is a Catholic veteran-owned family company providing premium outdoor landscaping. Clean up and restore outdoor living space with retaining walls, privacy fencing, pergolas, paver sidewalks, and patios. Issues with soil settling and water around the foundation and yard? Five Sons Naturescapes can grade and install drainage tile to help. Five Sons Naturescapes online at fivesonsnaturescapes.com.
1: And you're listening to Faith on Trial on Catholic Radio, and Gina, uh, another interesting program. Well, uh, I learned a
3: lot. Yeah, I, I learned a lot. I think it's interesting that um, Mr. Jipping, Tom Jipping from the Heritage mm-hmm. Foundation, it, uh, pointed out that um, most people do not understand the court system, and it dawned on me that maybe we should spend more time on c- civics in our classrooms. Um, and less time, perhaps, on some of these other crazy things we're teaching our students about hating this country.
1: Yeah, or hating each other, or hating, or each hating other. ourselves, as <laughs> the case <laughs> maybe. Yeah. You name
3: it. Let's go back to good old fashioned civics. Um, I, I also find the whole um, concept of President Biden's commission versus a uh, law. You know, the Congress is trying to enact a law. Um, when do those butt heads? How long do we hang out in our separate courts and then try to um, rally that ball back and forth?
1: Yeah, the interesting thing is that Mr. Biden uh, never uh, committed himself one way or another to that court-packing concept during the campaign. He was very—he was suspiciously quiet on that. And and didn't say anything, and kind of you know issued statements that made it sound like, well, he was re- he really liked the court the way it was, but he was willing to you know look into anything that might improve it and whatever. Um, and so uh, I was very suspicious. I, I, I as a matter of fact, just before the election, I had a column in the Wanderer that asked that question: "Tell us, Mr. Biden, are you for or against court packing?" Of course, he probably doesn't read the Wanderer devout Catholic that he's supposed to be, <laughs> reading the Wanderer. But uh, that question was never answered uh, during the campaign. If it was, I think it would have changed a lot of votes. If he answered it w- w- what he's doing now.
3: Well, I. The other thing that I, I, the more often we do these shows, the more that I learn about how wise our founding fathers were oh, in absolutely. setting up the our, um, our government to be, Protective of the rights of individuals because of all of the violations um, that they were breaking away from in the English, in the in, from England, mm-hmm. and um, so what's old is new, which was pointed out by um, um, Mr. Jipping, and um, the control of the courts by the uh, by the by the English government was one of the reasons we broke away from England.
1: Right. Right, and, and you are right. As we look back and see what those founders set up for us, um, they were very brilliant in what they did. Uh, they were fallible men and they set up a fallible system. But they 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 gave us something very brilliant to well, work and they were with, brave. and we and yes. of course and we can screw it up, and that's that's the problem right now. Well, and Is that's sometimes because we, we don't understand our history. That's I right. You know,
3: history repeats itself, and as long as we understand it, uh, we can see the pros and cons. I mean, I think we did a good job today of talking about court packing, the attempt to do court packing in the Roosevelt era, right. and. Um, I think that's that's helpful, and the more we talk about that and explore it, I think it will help in the decisions we make moving forward.
1: Now, going to our second guest, to Julie, and the case of the College of the Ozarks versus Biden, uh, can you imagine how that case is it works its way up the system, uh, which may end up in the Supreme Court, how it might be um, resolved with a Supreme Court that has four new justices on it that are appointed by a, a president biden versus the, the ones that we have now
3: well truly and yeah they both move very slowly both the court case up through the system and this court packing mm-hmm. if it ever takes effect um they move very slowly I, I find it interesting that the the court the supreme court as we've known in the last uh number of years ha- has had to make decisions on executive orders mm-hmm. some have been upheld and some have been eliminated. Um, So I look forward to seeing what the courts say about this particular executive order. I think
1: one of the things that's going to hit them right square between the eyes is the uh, violation of the Administrative Procedures Act, where they did not enact this rule according to the administrative procedures that are set out uh, in in the law. So we will see. We will see. And I I like Julie's idea, you give them everything. You give the court everything and let them pick and choose. All right, we're out of time, so uh, let's go to our prayer. prayer, All right, all right. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell, Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. All right, for Gene and myself, thank you for listening. Join us again next week for another edition of Faith on Trial. And until then, have a blessed and peaceful week.
0: Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano. Faith on Trial, Thursdays at 10 a.m. on Iowa Catholic Radio, iowacatholicradio.com, and the Iowa Catholic Radio app.
1: Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients.